After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Nasrih Al-Aziz stated, The accounts from the life of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu were being narrated. And today I will mention the Battle of Yarmouk. There is a difference of opinion in relation to the dates of when the Battle of Yarmouk took place. According to one narration, it states that this battle was fought in 15 Hijri, whereas according to others it was fought in 13 Hijri, prior to the conquest of Damascus. According to another narration, the first news Hazrat Umar received with regards to a victory in battle was the Battle of Yarmouk, and at the time, only 20 days had passed since the demise of Hazrat Abu Bakr According to others, Hazrat Umar was first given the news of the conquest of Damascus. But in any case, the narration regarding the conquest of Damascus having taken place first seems to be more accurate. And the evidence indicates that the Battle of Yarmouk was fought during the time of Hazrat Umar After repeatedly suffering defeats, the Byzantines left Damascus and Homs and other areas and went to Antioch, a town at the border of Syria. Here they sought help from Heraclius for assistance, saying that the Arabs have conquered all of Syria. Heraclius called some of their wise and respected individuals to his court and said that the Arabs are weaker than you and are fewer in number than you and have less provisions. How then are you unable to compete against them in battle? Upon this, all of them lowered their heads in shame and none of them said a word in reply. However, there was one experienced elderly man who stated that the morals of the Arabs are superior to ours. They worship at night, they fast during the day and they do not wrong anyone and meet and treat each other with equality. On the other hand, our state is such that we drink alcohol, act immorally, we do not honour our oaths and we commit injustices to others. And so, as a result of this, their endeavours are filled with passion and steadfastness, whereas ours are completely devoid of these traits. The Byzantine Emperor had already decided to leave Syria. However, various Christian delegations from every town and province would arrive seeking his help. The Byzantine Emperor was greatly impassioned by this and thus agreed to utilize the entire strength of his kingdom in opposition to the Arabs. 
And so he sent messages everywhere to Rome, Constantinople, Antalya and Armenia and that all armies should reach Antioch by a particular date. Moreover, he wrote to the leaders of every province to gather as many men as they could from anywhere possible and send them. And as soon as these orders were received, a tremendous army had assembled. Swarms of armies were spread in each direction of Antioch, as far as the eye could see. However, the leaders and chiefs of the places that had been conquered by Hazrat Abu Ubaidah were greatly impressed by his justice and equity. So much so that despite belonging to the opposing religion, they had personally appointed spies to gather information about the enemy. And so through them, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah was informed of all of these events. Subsequently, he gathered all the various leaders and chiefs and stood up and delivered a very inspiring speech. The gist of this was that, O Muslims, God has tried you time and again and you have always succeeded. And so in return, God has always made you victorious and triumphant. Now your enemy has marched forward to fight against you with such provisions that the earth has been shaken. Thus, how will you respond now? Yazid bin Abi Sufyan, who was the brother of Hazrat Amir Muawiyah, stood up and said that he was of the opinion that the women and children should be left within the city and that they themselves should assemble their forces outside. Along with this, a letter should be sent to Hazrat Khalid and Hazrat Amr bin Alas to come from Damascus and Palestine as reinforcements. This occurrence also proves that the conquest of Damascus happened prior to this. And Sharabil bin Hassana stated that at this moment everyone should be free to give their opinion. The suggestion given by Yazid is of good intention, but I am against it. The city dwellers are all Christian, and therefore it is very possible that out of malice they will capture our families and hand them over to the Byzantine emperor, or kill them themselves, or perhaps even revolt against them. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah stated that the solution to this is to banish the Christians in order to keep our families safe. Upon this, Sharabil stood up and stated, O Commander-in-Chief, you certainly do not have the right to do this, for we have given respite to these Christians on the condition that they will live in peace in the city. So how can we breach this agreement? We have entered a covenant, so how is it possible that we can break it and banish them? Upon this, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah admitted his error. However, the course of action still remained undecided. The general public suggested that they remain in Homs and await for the armed reinforcements. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah said that there wasn't enough time for that. And finally, it was proposed that they would leave Homs for Damascus, where Hazrat Khalid was positioned and the borders of Arabia were nearby. When this plan of action was decided upon, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah called for Habib bin Maslama, who was the officer of the treasury, and told him that because of the dire circumstances, they were now unable to uphold the responsibility of safeguarding the Christians. Therefore, whatever tax or jizya had been collected from them for their well-being and protection cannot be fulfilled and therefore should be returned to them in its entirety. Moreover, they should also be informed that the relationship established between them is still the same, but due to being unable to protect them at the time, the jizya, the tax which was collected in exchange of protecting them, should be returned to them. Thus, an amount numbering in the hundreds of thousands was returned. This incident had such a profound effect on the Christians that it left them in tears and they very passionately prayed to God for their return. The Jews took an even more profound effect from this and they swore by the Torah that as long as they live, they would not let the Byzantine emperor rule over Homs.
Upon saying this, they even closed the city's defensive gates and stationed men everywhere to stand guard. Abu Ubaidah did not only treat the people of Homs as such, rather he sent word to all the conquered regions to return the full amount of the jizya, i.e. the tax, that was collected from them. Thus, Abu Ubaidah departed for Damascus and informed Hazrat Umar of the entire situation. When Hazrat Umar heard that the Muslims have left Homs in fear of the Byzantines, he became extremely sad. However, when he learned that the army in its entirety and its commanders unanimously agreed upon this, he was somewhat relieved and said that God must have made the Muslims unanimous on this decision due to some wisdom. It is also mentioned in certain narrations that Hazrat Umar was first asked about this and he himself gave instructions to return whatever was collected as jizya if they were unable to offer protection. Hazrat Umar then wrote to Abu Ubaidah that he would send forces with Sayyid bin Amr as reinforcements. However, victory and defeat was not determined by an army's size. Upon reaching Damascus, Abu Ubaidah called a council with all the commanders. Yazid bin Abi Sufyan, Sharhabil bin Hassana and Muaz bin Jabal all gave different suggestions. In the meantime, an emissary from Amr bin al-As arrived with a letter which stated that the regions in Jordan had begun to revolt and the arrival of the Byzantines had caused an upheaval and hence the decision to leave Homs made it look as if they were weak. Upon this, Abu Ubaidah sent a letter in response saying that the withdrawal from Homs was not out of fear but rather was intended to draw out the enemy from their shelters and so that all the Muslim armies which were dispersed in every direction would unite. A letter also mentioned that he, Ayy Hazrat Amr bin al-As, should not move from his current location and that he would join him there. The next day, Abu Ubaidah left Damascus and set up camp on the outskirts of Jordan in Yarmouk. Yarmouk was a steep valley in the peripheries of Syria where the Jordan River flows from. Amr bin al-As also arrived there for the meeting and this place was very suitable for the needs of battle because the border of Arabia was the closest location to this place in comparison to all other locations. Moreover, the area behind them which extended to the borders of Arabia was all a clear expanse which would allow them, if needed, to pull back as much as they wanted. The reinforcements Hazrat Umar sent under the command of Sayyid bin Amir had not yet arrived when the Muslims began to worry after hearing news of the arrival and considerable equipment of the Byzantines. Abu Ubaidah sent another messenger to Hazrat Umar to inform him that the Byzantines were coming from all directions and their ambition was to such a degree that wherever their armies passed through, even their priests and shrine dwellers, the likes that have never taken a step out of solitude, were becoming impassioned and joining their forces. When this letter reached Hazrat Umar he gathered all the Muhajireen and the Ansar and read the letter out to them. The companions began to weep immediately and passionately cried out that, O leader of the faithful, for Allah's sake, permit us to go lay our lives to help our brothers. Because God forbid, if they are harmed in the slightest, it would render life useless. The passion of the Muhajireen and the Ansar continued to increase, so much so that Abdul Rahman bin Auf asked Hazrat Umar to take charge of the army and take them along with him. However, the other companions disagreed with this and it was then decided that more reinforcements would be sent instead. Hazrat Umar asked the emissary how far along the enemy was. He replied that they were three to four days journey away from Yarmouk. Hazrat Umar became very anxious as to what could be done and that it was not enough time for help to reach them. 
Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu then wrote a very powerful letter to Abu Ubaidah and instructed the emissary to read the letter aloud to each and every row of the Muslim army and tell them that Umar conveys his greetings to you. It further stated that, O Muslims, fight courageously and pounce on your enemies like lions and attack their skulls with your swords. They should be even lesser than ants next to you and their large numbers should not frighten you. And as for those who have not yet joined you, do not worry on account of them. It was a unique turn of events that the day the emissary reached Abu Ubaidah, the same day Sayyid bin Amir arrived with an army of a thousand men. As a result, the Muslims received great strength and proceeded to prepare for battle with great resolute and steadfastness. Muaz bin Jabal, a companion of a lofty status, was appointed to lead the right flank of the army, while Qubas bin Asham led the left flank and Hashim bin Uthma commanded the foot soldiers. The horse riders were divided into four companies. One was reserved for the army that was under his own command, while the other three were led by Qas bin Huwera, Mesra bin Masruq and Amr bin Tufel. These three brave men were among the most brave men of the Arabs and were thus titled Farisul Arab. The Byzantines were also well equipped going forward. Their numbers exceeded 200,000 and they were standing in 24 rows headed by the religious leaders who were holding crosses in their hands as they incited their people. When the armies came face to face, a batrik, which is a word referring to a religious leader of the Christians, came through the rows and challenged for a Upon this, Mesra bin Masruq advanced his horse, but Khalid stopped him because the opponent looked to be young and strong and instead Khalid looked towards Qais bin Huwera. And so Qais bin Huwera went forward whilst reciting a couplet. Qais attacked so swiftly that the opponent could hardly even grab hold of his weapon. The sword struck his head, cutting through his helmet all the way to his neck, and he tumbled off of his horse. Upon this, the Muslims raised slogans glorifying God, Khalid said that this was a good sign and if God willed, then victory would be theirs. The Christians had appointed separate battalions to attack Khalid and the other commanders of the Muslim army. However, they were all defeated and by the end of the day, the battle continued to be fought. At night, when the Byzantines realized that they were losing, the commander Bahan gathered the chiefs and told them that the Arabs have become accustomed to the riches of Syria. And so, rather than continuing to fight, it would be best to entice them with riches in exchange for leaving. Everyone agreed with this suggestion. And so, on the next day, they sent a messenger to Abu Ubaidah requesting for a high-ranking leader to be sent to them in order to negotiate the terms of a ceasefire. Abu Ubaidah appointed Khalid for this and the messenger who conveyed this message was named George as recorded by the Urdu historians. However, in the Arabic books, his name appears as Jarja, and I have mentioned this for the Arab speakers. In any case, when the messenger arrived, it was already evening, and the Maghrib prayer was offered a short while later. The zeal with which the Muslims glorified God and stood for prayer, and the level of devotion, tranquility, dignity, honour and fervency with which the Muslims offered prayer greatly impressed the messenger and he looked on in awe. When the prayer came to a conclusion, he asked Abu Ubaidah a few questions, one of which was about his belief regarding Jesus. Upon this, Abu Ubaidah recited the following verses of the Holy Qur'an. Inna masala Isa inda Allahi kamasali adama. 
خلقہو من ترابن سم قال لہو کن فیقون یا اہل الکتاب لا تغلو فی دینکم ولا تقولو علاللہ الا الحق انما المسیح عیسی ابن مریم رسول اللہ وکلمتہ القاہا الی مریم و روح منہ فآمنوا باللہ و رسولہ ولا تقولو سلاسا انتہو خیر اللکم انما اللہ الہ واحد سبحانہو ان یکون لہو ولد لہو ما فی السماوات و ما فی الارض وکفا باللہ وکیلا میننگ شولی دا کیس آف جیزس ود اللہ لائک دا کیس آف ادم He created him out of dust. Then he said to him, Be, and he was. O people of the book, exceed not the limits in your religion and say not of Allah anything but the truth. Verily, the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of Allah and a fulfillment of his word which he sent down to Mary and a mercy from him. So believe in Allah and His messengers and say not that they are three. Desist, it will be better for you. Verily, Allah is the only one God. Far is it from His holiness that He should have a son. To Him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth. And sufficient is Allah as a guardian. Surely, the Messiah will never disdain to be a servant of Allah, nor will the angels near unto God. In any case, the translator translated these verses and the messenger, George, immediately proclaimed that I testify that these were the very qualities of Jesus and I bear witness that your prophet is truthful. After this, he recited the kalima, i.e. the Islamic creed declaring the unity of God and became a Muslim. He did not wish to return to his people. However, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah thought that the Byzantines may see this as a breach of trust and so he told him to return with the mediator the next day. The next day, Hazrat Khalid went to the Byzantine army's camp, and as a display of grandeur, they arranged for riders to stand on both sides of the path for a long distance, and all of them clad in iron from head to toe. However, Hazrat Khalid did not pay any attention to this, and would look at them with disdain as he passed by. And he looked at them just like a lion who runs through a flock of sheep. As Hazrat Khalid approached Bahan's tent, he received him with great honour and gave him a place to sit beside him. The conversation then started through a translator, and after having a brief conversation, Bahan began speaking as if he was delivering a lecture. And after praising Jesus, he invoked the name of the emperor and said with great pride, that our king is the leader of all kings. The translator had not yet finished translating this sentence when Khalid stopped Bahan and stated that perhaps your king may be so. However, if the person who has been appointed as our leader were to ever think of himself like a king for even a moment, then we would remove him right away. Bahan then began his speech and whilst boasting about his status and wealth, he stated, the Arabs, in other words, your people, came and settled in our lands and we always treated them in a friendly manner. We thought that the entire Arab world would be grateful for our favours. But contrary to our expectation, you have attacked our country and desire to expel us from it. He then said, but are you not aware that many nations have made many plots to do the same, but were never successful? تم جو ہو تمام دنیا میں 
And as for you, there is no nation more ignorant than your people, and no one is more lowly and deprived. And yet, you have the audacity to attack us. But in any case, we will overlook this act of yours. And in fact, if you leave from here, then as a reward we will give your commanders 10,000 dinars each, and your officers a thousand dinars each, and each of your soldiers a hundred dinars. In fact, they were the ones who had assembled such a large army to combat and defeat the Muslims. But when the Byzantines realized that it would not be easy to win this war, they stipulated these conditions. But in any case, when Bahan finished his speech, Hazrat Khalid stood up, and after praising God and his messenger, peace be upon him, he stated, There is no doubt that you are wealthy and powerful, and we are also aware of your treatment towards the neighboring Arabs. But this was no favor on your part. Rather, it was a ploy to spread your faith. You desired to propagate your religion, as a result of which Arabs converted to Christianity, and today they have joined you in fighting against us. It is true that we had limited means and were nomads. And the extent of our cruelties and ignorance was that the powerful would crush the weak and tribes would fight and destroy each other. However, God bestowed his mercy upon us and sent us a messenger who was from among us and who was the most noble, most benevolent and most righteous from among us. He taught us the unity of God and taught that God does not have any partner. He has no wife or children and he is completely independent and self-subsisting. He also commanded us to spread these teachings throughout the world and whoever accepts is a Muslim and our brother. But whoever does not accept but agrees to pay the jizya, we will be their helpers and protectors. And whoever rejects both of these things will be met with the sword. If they do not accept and are bent on fighting, then we too are prepared. As soon as Bahan heard the word jizya, he sighed and pointed towards his army and stated that they will die before they pay the jizya. We take the jizya and we do not pay it. Thus, no decision was reached and Hazrat Khalid stood up and left. Preparations for one final attack were then being made and the Byzantines were unable to recover after this attack. After Hazrat Khalid left, Bahan gathered the Byzantine generals and said, You have just heard the Arabs claim that unless you become their subjects, you will not remain safe from the attack. Do you accept being subdued by them and their rule? All the Byzantine generals passionately refused, saying that we will die but never accept this humiliation. In the morning, fully equipped, the Byzantine forces marched out with such vigour that it took the Muslims by surprise. Upon witnessing this, Hazrat Khalid desired to rearrange the army in a manner that was different to the Arab way of arranging the army. When Hazrat Khalid saw that the Byzantines had marched out with full force, he decided to use a new method to arrange the army, which was something the Arabs had not used previously. His army, which comprised of 30 to 35,000 men, was split into 36 units, and he meticulously arranged the sections of the army. The center of the army was assigned to Abu Ubaidah, the right flank was assigned to Amr bin al-As and Shirabil, and the left flank was assigned to Yazid bin Abi Sufyan. Aside from this, the commander appointed to oversee each of these units were those who were renowned for their bravery and skill in war. Moreover, eloquent orators who were able to arouse the zeal of the people were chosen to inspire the army. Among these orators was Abu Sufyan, who would roam ahead of the army exclaiming, By Allah, you are the guardians of all the Arabs and helpers of Islam, and they are the Byzantine guardians and the helpers of idolatry, i.e. shirk. O Allah, this day is among your promised days. O Allah, send down your support upon your people. Amr bin Alas would go around saying, O people, lower your gaze and sit down on your knees 
and prepare your spears and remain firm in your position and in your ranks. When the enemy launches an attack on you, then hold your position until they come within reach of your spears and then pounce on them like lions. He further stated that I swear by God who is pleased with the truth and grants rewards for it and who is displeased with falsehood and punishes owing to it and the one who rewards goodness, I have received news and Muslims will conquer one settlement after another and the Muslims will conquer one palace after another and eventually conquer the entire land. Thus, do not let their size and numbers overawe you. If you remain steadfast in the battle, then they will be fearful of you like the chicks of a partridge and will scatter. Although the Muslim army numbered between 30 to 35,000, they were chosen from all of Arabia. Among them were a thousand individuals who had seen the blessed countenance of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. A hundred individuals among them had fought alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in the Battle of Badr. And more than 10,000 individuals were from the famous Arab tribe of Az-Dalam. A large group of the Himyar tribe were present, and as well as many brave warriors of Hamdan, Kholan, Laham and Juzam. One notable feature of this battle was that women also took part in this battle and fought valiantly. Hazrat Hin, the mother of Amir Muawiyah and wife of Abu Sufyan who later accepted Islam, would launch an attack whilst proclaiming that sever the heads of the disbelievers. Similarly, Juwaria, the daughter of Abu Sufyan and sister of Amir Muawiyah went out with the contingent and fought the Byzantine army alongside her husband and was martyred in a fierce encounter. Mikdad, who had a very melodious voice, would go ahead of the army and recite Surah Al-Anfal, which contains verses pertaining to jihad. On the other hand, the passion of the Byzantines was such that 30,000 Byzantine soldiers had shackled themselves together so there would be no thought of retreat. They all chained their feet together. The Byzantine forces launched the first attack and a formidable army of 200,000 strong marched forwards. Thousands of priests and bishops with crosses in hand would walk ahead and recite the name of Jesus. Upon seeing their armaments, someone spontaneously said that Allah is the greatest. What a remarkable army. Upon this, Hazrat Khalid replied passionately that stay quiet. By God, if the hooves of my horse were healthy, I would have said to let the Christians bring double this army. Nonetheless, the Christians launched a fierce attack and showering down arrows, they marched ahead. The Muslims held their ground for a long time, but the Byzantine attack was so intense that the right flank of the Muslim army broke away from the army and retreated in complete disarray. Having suffered a setback, they retreated up to the women's camp. And seeing the state of the Muslims, the women became enraged and they pulled out the sticks of the encampment and said, O oh, unfortunate ones, if you come this way, we will strike your heads with these sticks. Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, took hold of a staff and marched ahead with the other women behind her. Seeing Abu Sufyan running away, Hind struck the pointed staff on the front of his horse and said, Where are you going? Go back to the battlefield. According to another narration, it is said that Hind picked up a stick and ran towards Abu Sufyan, saying, By God, you are ruthless in your position against the true religion of Islam and in rejecting the truthful messenger of God. Today, there is a chance to raise aloft the true religion and attain the pleasure of God and His messenger by sacrificing your life and attaining honour in the sight of Allah. Thus, with his honour at stake, Abu Sufyan became impassioned and with his sword drawn in his hand, he penetrated the enormous army. Similarly, another brave Muslim woman called Khola would inspire the people by reciting the following couplets. 
that, O ye who run away past the righteous women, soon you will find them either women imprisoned, and they will not attain the lofty ranks, nor will they be among the chosen ones. Upon witnessing this situation, Muaz bin Jabal, who was the commander of the right flank, leapt from his horse and said, I will fight on foot. If there is a brave warrior who can do justice to this horse, the horse is his. His son replied that indeed I shall do justice to this horse as I can fight better on horseback. Hence, both father and son penetrated the enemy rows and fought with such valour that the Muslims regained their footing. Along with this, Hajjaj, who was the leader of the Zubaydah tribe, took 500 soldiers with him and stopped the Byzantines who were chasing the Muslims. The Azad tribe remained steadfast in the right flank of the army and despite attacking them with all their military power and weapons, the Muslims stood firm like a mountain. The intensity of the battle was such that heads, hands and legs would be severed, but they would not be moved. Amr bin Tufel, who was the leader of this tribe, would continue striking with his sword and proclaimed, O Azd, ensure the Muslims are not tainted because of you. He killed nine brave warriors from among the enemy and eventually was martyred himself. Hazrat Khalid, who had held his contingent back, suddenly struck, penetrating the enemy ranks with such force that the Byzantine ranks became scattered. Ikrma, the son of Abu Jahl, raced his horse ahead saying, O Christians, when I was a disbeliever, I fought against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. How could I then retreat today against you? Saying this, he turned to the army and said, Who pledges allegiance to sacrifice their life? 400 soldiers, which included Zarar bin Azad, pledged allegiance to sacrifice their lives and fought with such resolve that almost every single one of them was killed. The body of Ikrimah was found among a pile of those killed. He was breathing his last when Hazrat Khalid placed his head on his legs and sprinkling some water into his throat said, By God, Umar's viewpoint turned out to be incorrect, that we would not be martyred. Although Ikrimah and his men went into the jaws of death themselves, but they killed thousands of Byzantine soldiers in the process. The attack launched by Khalid broke the Byzantine strength even more, to the extent that they had to retreat. Hazrat Khalid kept forcing them back until they reached the Byzantine commander Duranjar. Duranjar and the other Byzantine officers had put a cloth over their eyes so that if they are unable to see victory, they also avoid seeing defeat. Just as the battle was intensifying, Ibn Kanatir, the Byzantine commander of the right flank, launched an attack on the left flank of the Muslim army. Unfortunately, this consisted of a large part of the Lahan Muqsan, who lived towards the Levant and for a long period of time had been giving tax to the Byzantines. Owing to giving tax for such a long time, they were overawed by them which resulted in them losing their footing in the first attack. Despite being Muslims, the overawing influence of the Byzantines was prevalent and owing to this fear they lost their footing. Nonetheless, the Muslim commanders showed great resolve and if they had shown weakness, the battle would have been over. The Byzantine chased those who ran away up until the women's encampment. Upon witnessing these scenes, the women came out at once and their bravery prevented the Christians from advancing any further. And even though the army had dispersed, however, among the commanders, Qabas bin Ashiyam, Sa'id bin Zaid, Yazid bin Abi Sufyan, Amr bin As, Sharabil bin Hassanah continued to rouse them. The swords and spears would continue to fall from Qabas's hand, but he would not show even the slightest expression of despair. As soon as his spear would break and fall to the ground, he would say, is there anyone who can give me a weapon, for I have vowed to God that if I have to leave the battlefield, they will only be in a state of death. Subsequently, a sword or a spear would be given to him, and he would immediately pounce at the enemy like a lion. Abu Lawar jumped off his horse and addressing his battalion stated, Patience and steadfastness is a mark of respect in this world and a means of mercy in the hereafter. Do not let this wealth slip from your hands. Sayyid bin Zaid was stood with his knees on the ground whilst in anger. The Byzantines rushed towards him and he leapt towards them like a lion and attacked the command of the vanguard and felled him to the ground. Yazid bin Abi Sufyan, the brother of Muawiyah, was fighting with great courage. 
By chance, his father, Abu Sufyan, who was encouraging the army, came towards him and upon seeing his son stated, O oh my son, at this moment, each and every soldier is demonstrating their valour. You are a commander. Therefore, you possess the greatest right amongst them all to demonstrate your bravery and courage. Thus, if even one of them excels you in this, then it will be a means of shame for you. And Sharabil's state was such that he was surrounded from all directions by the Byzantines and he was stood like a mountain in the middle and was reciting the following verse of the Holy Qur'an. That is, surely Allah has purchased of the believers their persons and their property in return for the heavenly garden they shall have. They fight in the cause of Allah and they slay and are slain. He would raise the slogan, Where are those who wish to enter into a deal with God and seek the nearness of God? Whoever heard this would immediately return and the army which had become dispersed once again reassembled. And Sharabil once again led them into battle with such bravery that the Byzantines who were continuously fighting could not make any further ground. On the other hand, the women came out of their camps and stood behind their army and would shout, if you turn back from the battlefield, then do not ever look at us. Up till then, both armies were having an equal share of the battle. In fact, the Byzantines were gaining slightly more ground. However, when Qais bin Huwera, to whom Khalid had assigned a part of the army and dispatched them to the right flank of the army, came out from the back and attacked with such intensity that despite the efforts of the Byzantine commanders, they could not keep their army intact. And all of the enemy rows were scattered and they became overwhelmed and began to retreat. At the same time, Said bin Zayd emerged from the middle and launched an attack. And the Byzantines kept moving back until they reached the well situated at the extreme end of the battlefield. And in a short space of time, the well was filled with corpses and the battlefield was empty. And thus, Allah the Almighty granted the Muslims an extraordinary victory in this extremely important battle. A noteworthy incident that took place during this battle is that when the battle was at its peak, Abbas bin Qais, who was a courageous soldier, was valiantly fighting and someone struck their sword in his foot, completely severing his foot. However, Abbas was completely unaware of this. After a short while, when he realized and looked down at his foot, he saw that his foot was missing. Later, the people of his tribe would always recall this incident with great pride. The number of Byzantine soldiers reported to have been killed in the battle differ. According to Azdi, there were more than 100,000 soldiers killed and according to Baladri, it was 70,000 Byzantine soldiers and 3,000 Muslim soldiers were killed, which included Ikrama, Zarar bin Azwar, Hisham bin Asi and Aban bin Said, etc. At the time, the Byzantine emperor was in Antioch and as soon as he heard of their loss, he immediately made preparations to head to Constantinople. Upon departing, he looked into the direction of Syria and stated, O land of Syria, I bid you farewell. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah wrote a letter to Hazrat Umar conveying the news of victory and sent a small delegation which included Huzaifa bin Yaman. Hazrat Umar had not slept for many days whilst waiting for the news from Yarmouk and as soon as he heard the news of victory, he immediately fell into prostration and expressed his gratitude. The army in Homs had to travel to Yermuk and remain there temporarily and the tax which had been taken from its inhabitants was returned. Whilst mentioning this, Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala states, the companions fought against the Byzantines and eventually conquered Jerusalem, which was a holy land for the Christians and then began to advance further ahead from there as well. Upon seeing that their religious centre had fallen to the Muslims, the Christians planned to make one final attempt in order to drive the Muslims out from there. They issued announcements in every direction for a religious crusade which greatly impassioned the Christians and they gathered a large army and prepared to attack the Muslims. Upon witnessing this, the Muslims who comparatively were very few in number decided to temporarily retreat from there. 
The commander of the Muslim army wrote to Hazrat Umar stating that the enemy is in such large numbers whilst we are so few. Therefore to fight against them is akin to destroying our own army. And so, if you permit, the Muslim army will pull back in order to reorganize our army and reduce the scope of battle. In this way, we will be able to regroup everyone and then challenge them again. He further wrote that if you grant us permission to leave the lands we have occupied and from whom we have taken tax as well, could you then also advise us regarding the tax money? Upon this, Hazrat Umar replied, It is not against the teachings of Islam to retreat in order to reorganize the army and to reduce the scope of battle. But let it be known that the tax was taken from the inhabitants of those lands on the condition that the Muslim army will grant them protection. If the Muslim army is to leave from there, then it means that they will no longer be able to protect these lands. Therefore, it is imperative that whatever has been taken from them should be returned. When Hazrat Umar's instruction reached them, the commander of the Muslim army called the local landowners, traders and others and returned what had been taken from them. And he stated to them that this money had been taken from you on the condition that the Muslim army shall protect you in return. However, now since we consider ourselves weaker in comparison to the enemy and are thus temporarily retreating from here and cannot protect you, Therefore, it is not permissible for us to keep this money. The example demonstrated here is such that no other king in history has ever acted like this. Generally, when any king withdraws from an area, instead of returning the tax money, they further plunder the land. They feel that since the land is going to be occupied by others, therefore they ought to derive as much benefit as they possibly can. Furthermore, since they are not going to live there anymore, therefore they have no fear of bringing any dishonour to their reputation. And even if there is a very highly organised government, the most they will do is they will discreetly withdraw their troops and will not allow any large-scale looting and violence. However, the Muslim army demonstrated such an example that since the creation of the world, never has anyone witnessed such an example as demonstrated in the era of Hazrat Umar. In fact, it is a pity that even if we were to include the history even after this event, we can still not find an example whereby a ruler has withdrawn from an area and returned the tax and wealth taken from its people. Subsequently, this had such a profound impact upon the Christians that despite the fact that the army consisted of people of their own faith, and despite the fact that generals and colonels and commanders who were advancing forth were from among their own people, including their soldiers, and despite the fact that this battle was now made into a religious war for the Christians, and despite the fact that their religious centre had fallen into the hands of the Muslims, and to regain it was now a distant dream, yet the Christian men and women came out of their homes and began to cry and prayed that the Muslims would one day return again. Hazrat Muslim Allah had a very firm grasp in his knowledge of history and according to him they sought permission from Hazrat Umar to withdraw from there and also to return the tax money was his directive. Then with regards to Hazrat Ikrima, Hazrat Muslim Allah states that during the era of Hazrat Umar Khilafat, during the Battle of Yirmuk, when the lives of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, were in great danger and the Muslims were being killed in great numbers. The commander-in-chief of the Islamic army, Hazrat Abu Ubaidah bin al-Jarrah stated that I desire for some courageous men to come, who though may be small in number, but they go all out in battle and overawe the Byzantine forces. Hazrat Ikrimah came forth and requested Hazrat Ubaidah and let me select some men of my choice and I will take them and attack the centre of the army forces and will try and kill their general. At the time, the general of the Byzantine army was fighting with great intensity and the king had promised him that if he gained victory over the Muslims, he would give his daughter's hand in marriage to him and will hand over half of his kingdom to him. And so in desire of this, he was filled with passion and took his personal army and the official army to the battlefield. He had also promised large sums of money to his soldiers. Hence, the Byzantine soldiers were also fighting with great intensity. When the Byzantine army attacked the Muslims, his general was stood right in the middle. 
Hazrat Ikrima took 400 soldiers along with him and attacked right in the center of the enemy forces. And one of his men attacked the general and threw him to the ground. They were just 400 Muslim soldiers and were up against an army of hundreds of thousands. Therefore, this was no easy challenge. Even though they killed his general and as a result of his death, the army became scattered. However, the enemy forces attacked them and except for a few, they were all martyred. Among these men, 12 were severely injured. When the Muslim army gained victory, they went in search of these men who launched the attack. And among them was also Hazrat Ikrima. One of the Muslim soldiers came to him and upon seeing the grave condition of Ikrima, he said to him, O Ikrima, I have a water bag with me. Drink some water from it. Ikrima turned his head and saw that Fazl, the son of Hazrat Abbas, was lying near him and was severely injured. Ikrima said to the Muslim soldier, My honour would not permit me to quench my thirst and live, whilst those people and their progeny die of thirst, who assisted the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at a time when I was his staunch enemy. Therefore, give him water first, and if there is anything left, then bring it to me. And so the Muslim soldier then went to Fazl, but he indicated that another injured Muslim ought to be given water first, as he was more in need of it than he was. The Muslim soldier then went to him, but he also stated that another injured Muslim was more in need of water, therefore he ought to go to him first. Accordingly, whichever injured soldier he would go to, they would send him to the next person, and none would drink the water. When the Muslim soldier went to the last of the injured soldiers, he had already passed away. And when he returned back to Ikrima, he had also passed away. And when he went to the other injured soldiers, they too had passed away. Thus, this was the outcome of this battle, and Allah the Almighty granted them victory. In any case, these accounts will continue to be related in the future as well, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, 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 وَمَنْ يُدْلِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشَدُوا اللَّهَ إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشَدُوا أَنَّا مُحَمَّدًا مَبْدُوُ رَسُولُهُ إِبَادَ اللَّهِ رَحِمَكُمُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْمَرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِسَانِ وَيَنْهَوْنِ <تصفيق> 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 <تصفيق>